Numbers chapter 21, verse 4. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses. <clears throat> Wherefore have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water. And our soul loatheth this light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole. Then it, and it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass, and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. We've been following on Sunday mornings uh, through the book of Numbers, and we, uh, so when we encounter this story, we think of the proverb that <clears throat> the way of their predecessors has been folly, and yet their posterity applaud their sayings. Here's the uh, next generation of the children of Israel, some 40 years after uh, their fathers have murmured and complained and uh, seen the results of such folly, and they follow right in the footsteps of their former generation. Their rebellion is brought before us here. <clears throat> Why did they rebel? It says, <clears throat> They journeyed from Mount Hor by way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Eden. They were back now after their <clears throat> 37 years of wandering, ready to go into the promised land, but they have to go through Edom to go into the promised land. The king of Edom won't let them come through. So God says, instead of going to war against Edom, they had just won a great victory against a similar king. says, no, uh, rather than go to war because you're related to Edom, you will go all the way around the land of Edom back to the Red Sea. That was very discouraging. It was unexplainable. Here they are on the borders, really ready to enter in, only having to go through this land of Edom, which they can easily do. And God says, no, go all the way back to the Red Sea. This seems to run counter to God's promise. God had promised that after their period of wandering, he would bring them into the land. But this providence, this situation, seems to run counter to God's promise. And his people become perplexed. And it says they were much discouraged because of the way. When God's providence in your life seems to run counter to his promises, maybe uh, God has promised you that he would be a shepherd. And yet uh, strange things are happening that would seem to you to indicate that he hasn't really guided you in some decisions that you made. He's promised that he would meet your material needs if you'd put him first. And you have put him first, and yet 
you're going under financially, it seems like. When God's providence seems to run counter to his, pro- his promise, God's people become perplexed and discouraged. This is what had happened here. And uh, they gave way to a dissatisfied spirit. It says, <clears throat> the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. You know, when you get unhappy with God's dealings with you, you get unhappy with everything. Everything that you touch. When you get out of fellowship with God, you loathe anything. Somebody says, good morning, and you bite his head off. Uh, you don't like the hymns that the preacher picked. Uh, what did that have to do with it? Nothing. You just were upset with the Lord about something, and you don't like anything. This is characteristic of all of us. This is characteristic of those people. But it was sin. And sin brings its results. When we give way to a dissatisfied spirit, when we complain against the Lord, the Lord hears. The Lord sent serpents among them. Sin and suffering go hand in glove. There's a direct connection. We may suffer without having sinned. If so, that suffering will be a blessing to us. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. But at the same time, when we sin, you can expect to suffer for it. God has ordained that there will be a consequence, now or later. He doesn't always bring an immediate suffering. The worst punishment he can give us is to let us go on in our sin without dealing with us. Satan denied the connection. One of his favorite lies, you shall not surely die. There is no connection. But this passage teaches a connection. The result of their rebellion, God sent serpents. You notice it says the Lord sent them. And when you tie in a passage over in Deuteronomy, it would appear that this wilderness was filled with serpents. If you go over there today, a lot of serpents in this same area. They'd been there all along. But there'd been a protective shield. God had restrained. God had had his invisible shield around them. But when we rebel against the Lord, we forfeit our right to his protection. He sent them in the sense that he now lets them swarm in. And they were attributable to his allowing this. Nothing can happen to you that the Lord didn't either allow or send. If he allowed it, he sent it. Anything that happens, he controls. The flight of the sparrows. The sequel, many died. <clears throat> you pick that up, many died. Much people died. That's the result of sin. This had a sequel too. It says the people repented. 
Therefore the people came to Moses and said, Therefore the people came to Moses, because the Lord sent the serpents. And there was nothing that they could do, and they died. And there was no way the people could heal themselves. Then they went to the Lord. That's the reason God deals with us in the way that he does. So we'll turn to him. In their extremity, they apply to him alone who can help, and they confess their sin. They say, we have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord. That's a wonderful thing. If you can honestly go to God and say, God, I sinned, you've made a real step forward. When you can face up to it and not do like Adam and say, the woman she gave me to eat, (laughs) the serpent he tempted me, you know. If you can just say, God, I did wrong. Doesn't matter what these other folks did, I did wrong. That's real progress. That's biblical. That's the start of repentance. And they asked Moses to pray for them. Pray for us that the Lord will take away the serpents. And Moses prayed for the people. God had a remedy. The Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. You notice the remedy <clears throat> seems strange and unaccountable. What connection between healing and a serpent of brass put on a pole? The serpent of brass was made like these other serpents. Make a serpent like those, put it on a pole. Make it out of brass. What's the significance? Jesus tells the significance in the third chapter of John. Jesus says, as the serpent was lifted in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Christ said that the significance is that there was a parallel between that serpent and himself. The points of the parallel, the situation of the people. The people there were snake-bitten and were dying. People today are snake-bitten. We're bitten by that old serpent, the devil, and his bite is fatal. Sin has infected our nature, and the wages of sin is death, which means hell. And there's nothing that you or I can do about it. People are perishing. They're snake-bitten by a fatal wound. But there's a provision by God. The symbol used here of that provision was a serpent. What provision has God made for the healing of sin? He sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He wasn't sinful, but he was like us in all points, sin only accepted. The brass serpent was to be exactly like the others, except no venom. Jesus Christ would take our nature, 
The incarnation is pictured for us here. And the atonement, he would may be made to be sin. He who knew no sin would may be made to be sin for us. He would suffer and die for our sin. He would go through the wages of sin, which is that second death. He would go through that awful separation from God that sinners in hell experience. He would go through it on the cross. He cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You notice Jesus said, As the serpent was lifted in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. There was a, a must about it. He did it voluntarily. But he must be lifted up as a vicarious atonement, as a substitutionary atoning death, if God was to forgive us. There was none other good enough to pay the price of sin. He alone could unlock the gate of heaven and let us in. Well, might the sun in darkness hide and shut its glories in when God, the mighty maker, died for man, the creature, sin. God had to have an adequate atonement if he was to forgive man. He would only do it along the lines of his own sense of justice. Atonement must be made. He alone could make atonement. Only God could satisfy the demands of his law. And so he sent his co-equal, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came voluntarily and died. It was a certain must about it. You remember Jesus cried in Gethsemane, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Father, if there's any other way we can save sinners without me dying for them, I don't want to do it. Three times he prayed. Three times the Father said, Son, there's a must about it. There's no other way. I can only forgive sin if you die for them. Notice the material. Material is brass, enduring, lasting. From that point on, they had that serpent. Anybody that got bitten after that, that serpent was right there. All they had to do was look at the serpent. Jesus Christ made an enduring atonement. He is an enduring Savior. He continues to heal those who are snake-bitten. 700 years later, that brass serpent was still around. Hezekiah finally destroyed it. 2,000 years later, Jesus Christ is still around, and he shall never be destroyed. It's enduring. You know, this is a tremendous thing that we see pictured here for us. It's almost unbelievable. We've, we're so familiar with these things that we take them for granted. I was reading a child's letter to God the other day, and a child... You know, a child's kind of naive in a lot of ways. There's a book of child, children's letters to God, and this one said, Dear God, I want to thank you, God, for <clears throat> being so good. I love you because you're so good. And I try to be good like you. I'm good to all people, my mother and father and my two sisters. It must be fun to be God. And to have everybody love you. 
Must be fun to be God and have everybody love you. That's the way it ought to be. A father lost his son in the war. When he received the news of it, he happened to be in the presence of his minister. And it just tore him up. And he turned and in despair and in dismay and in distress and in disgust, he said to the minister, Where was God when my son was killed? And the minister inwardly was praying and the answer was given to him. The same place that he was when his own son was killed. God loves men even though men don't love God. He could have prevented his son being killed. He sent his son to be killed because he does love us. Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, said Jesus. The direction that's given here, we see the situation of men, we see the provision of God, but the direction is very instructive. Look, whoever looks will be healed. That look is a wonderful illustration of faith. Over in Isaiah 45, God says, Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. Look. What do you do when you look? You abandon all self-help and you cast yourself on that object on the pole as your only hope. That's looking. It means giving up all home remedies. It means don't look to men, but just focus on that object on the pole and look at it. That's illustrative of salvation by faith. Repentance is a condition of salvation, and these men were repentant when the, re when the re remedy was given. But in the scriptures, it's interesting that repentance, while mentioned as a condition of salvation, is not mentioned in connection with justification as such, the actual receiving of pardon. Always it's faith alone. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith and without the deeds of the law. It's by faith that it might be by grace, that it might be a gift. If repentance was mentioned in connection with the actual act of justification, it would lend to the idea that we earn our salvation to some extent by our repentance. And that's not true. Salvation, justification is a free gift given to those who are contrite of heart, but given to those who trust only in Jesus Christ, who look to him as their sole hope of healing. If you will think of how much that snake-bitten Israelite did to heal himself, of just what part in his healing his own works played, then you'll know just what part in our salvation or our justification our works pay. No part. 
It's a looking to Jesus. Those who looked were healed. Those who refused to look died. Maybe a man had dim vision, weak vision. A weak faith saves, said Luther, if it's faith in Jesus Christ. Spurgeon says a weak faith can give you a strong Savior. Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. This saves. How long did it take? Immediate healing was offered. How long does it take to be healed of our snake bite? Immediate healing is offered. The vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus, a pardon receives. For the Christian, this story has a lot to say about how thankful we, could, we should be to God. If you had been one of those snake-bitten Israelites with absolutely no hope and someone ran and told you that God had made provision, that he'd been merciful, that there was the serpent and all you had to do was look and you crawled out and you looked and suddenly you, you felt the venom being <clears throat> driven from your body, you felt healing, you were healed. Think of how grateful and thankful you would be. But that was just for bodily healing. That was just God had made some material provision. But how about spiritual healing through the provision of his son? What kind of effect should that have in my life? What kind of gratitude should that generate continually in my life? The love of Christ constrains us. We judge that if he died for all, all were dead. And he died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him who loved them. Oh, this ought to continually be our driving motive, gratitude. Again, for the Christian, how should we take trials that come our way when God's providence runs counter to his promises seemingly and we attempted to give way to a dissatisfied spirit? Remember, we're told in Deuteronomy that God's whole purpose of leading them through the wilderness was to humble them and to prove them and to see if they would obey, that he might know all that was in their heart. It was meant to show them what was in their heart. It was meant to mature them, to equip them to be good soldiers. Every time we do give way to a dissatisfied spirit and a murmuring spirit, every complaint has a corresponding serpent. We do not sin without it bringing its results. We take note of the fact that they complained about light food, and then they had fiery serpents. We say, I can't imagine anything worse that could happen to me than what has happened. That's a dangerous statement. God's not limited to your imagination. There are a lot of worse things that can happen to us than have happened. Let us learn not to give way, but to trust God in the dark, like Job did. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. 
And in the long run, God's providence will not run counter to his promises. All things work together for good to them that love the Lord. We see not only how to take trials and how thankful we should be, but we see what our task is. Our task is a lot like Moses. We're to imitate him. We have the cure. And the folks around us are dying. They're snake-bitten by something fatal and awful. And our job is to hold up the cure, to hold up the cross of Jesus Christ, to lift him up by telling the old, old story and by living it out every day in our own lives. This is our task. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I never can get away from the fantastic correspondence between these Old Testament pictures of God's great salvation that was to come 1,400 years later. The amazing correspondence as the serpent was lifted, even so must the Son of Man. That wasn't just coincidence. We've seen instance after instance after instance after instance of how God designed each of these situations to picture the great salvation that he was going to provide in Jesus Christ, his Son. I tell you, you cannot read it and not say, this is the finger of God. The Bible must be true. Christ must be the Son of God. If you're not a Christian, can you deny this correspondence is the finger of God? Suppose one of those Hebrew youth or adults had been snake-bitten and his neighbor has been cured and he runs to tell him, Look, look, there's provision. I've been healed. God has instructed Moses to make a serpent of brass and put it on a pole and you can be healed. Come on out of the tent and look. And he says, No, I don't believe in that. Why not? Well, I just can't see any logic to it. I've heard about that serpent of brass, but I just can't see any logic to it. I don't see how it could affect me. I don't want to fool with it. But I've been healed. Look, look here's my bite, and I'm well now. Look at me. Well, I don't know how to explain it, but I'm just not interested. Just leave me alone. Oh, don't be so foolish. He dies. That can happen to you. God has made provision. Maybe you can't explain why it works, all the ins and outs. You don't have to. There are hundreds who are here tonight who have experienced the cure. Commit your life to Jesus Christ. Look unto him and be saved. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. There's life for a look at the crucified one. There's life at this moment for thee. Then look, sinner, look unto him and be saved, unto him who was nailed to the tree. Let us pray. Lord, we pray that right now that you would speak to each heart and Lord, those who are here tonight and who have never really 
looked unto Jesus. They've never just put their simple trust in him as your provision for that old snake bite. Right now that they might be enabled to truly look unto Jesus. To say in their heart right now, Lord Jesus, I do look to you. I do trust in you as my great atonement. And I do surrender to you as my Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.